Welcome to part two of the Ladies of Horror Fiction Presents Stories of Horror, featuring Luella Miller by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. I'm your host, Tony, with The Misadventures of a Reader. So let's recap where we were in the story. Our heroine, Lydia Anderson, was telling the story of Luella Miller. Luella's husband and sister-in-law had died. Her aunt, Miss Mixter, wasn't very much better. Aunt Abby's daughter, Mrs. Sam Abbott, had been called to come to her mother's aid. However, she is too late. And she begins to tell Luella Miller exactly what she thinks of her. Let's get started with the story, shall we? Part 2 of Luella Miller Weak heart, says she. Weak heart. Weak fiddlesticks. There ain't nothing weak about that woman. She's got strength enough to hang on to other folks till she kills them. Weak? It was my poor mother that was weak. This woman killed her as sure as if she had taken a knife to her. But the doctor, he didn't pay much attention. He was bending over Luella laying there with her yellow hair all streaming and all her pretty pink face all pale and her blue eyes like stars gone out. And he was holding onto her hand and smoothing her forehead and telling me to get the brandy in Aunt Abby's room. And I was sure as I wanted to be that Luella had got somebody else to hang on to. Now Aunt Abby was gone, and I thought of poor Eurestus Miller, and I saw her pitied the poor young doctor, led away by a pretty face. And I made up my mind. I'd see what I could do. I waited till Aunt Abby had been dead and buried about a month, and the doctor was going to see Luella steady, and folks were beginning to talk. Then one evening, when I knew the doctor had been called out of town and wouldn't be around, I went over to, Luella, to Luella's. I found her all dressed up in a blue muslin with white polka dots on it, and her hair curled just as pretty. And there wasn't a young girl in the place could compare with her. There was something about Luella Miller seemed to draw the heart right out of you, and she didn't draw it out of me. She was sitting, rocking in the chair by her sitting room window, and Maria Brown had gone home. Maria Brown had been in to help her, or rather do the work, for Luella wouldn't helped when she didn't have to do nothing. Maria Brown was a real capable, and she didn't have any ties. She wasn't married and lived alone, so she offered. I couldn't see why she should do the work any more than Luella. She wasn't any too strong, but she seemed to think she could, and Luella seemed to think so too. So she went over and did all the work, washed and ironed and baked, while Luella sat and rocked. Maria didn't live long afterward. She began to fade away just the same fashion as the others had. Well, she has been warned, but she acted real mad when folks said anything. Said Luella was a poor, abused woman, too delicate to help herself. And they'd ought to be ashamed. And if she died helping them that couldn't help themselves, she would. And so she did. I suppose Maria had gone home, I says I to Luella, when I had gone in and sat down opposite of her. Yes, Maria went half an hour ago after she got supper and washed the dishes, says Luella in her pretty way. I suppose she's got a lot of work to do in her own house tonight, says I, kind of bitter. But that was all thrown away on Luella Miller. It seemed to her right that other folks that weren't any better able than she was herself should wait on her. She couldn't get it through her head that anybody should think it wasn't right. Yes, says Luella, real pretty. And yes, she said she had to do her washing tonight. She has to let it go for a fortnight along of coming over here. Why don't she stay home and do her washing instead of coming over here doing your work when you're just as well as able and enough sight more so than she is to do it. Then Luella, she looked at me 
like a baby who has a rattle shook at it. She sort of laughed as innocent as you please. Oh, I can't do the work myself, Miss Anderson, says she. I never did. Maria has to do it. Then I spoke out. Has to do it, says I. Has to do it? She don't have to do it either. Maria Brown has her own home and enough to live on. She ain't beholden to you to come over here and slave for you and kill herself. Luella, she just sat there and stared at me for all the world like a baby doll that was so abused that it was coming to life. Yes, says I. She's killing herself. She's going to die just the way Eurystice did. And Lily and your Aunt Abby, you're killing her just as you did them. I don't know what there is about you, but you seem to bring a curse, says I. You kill everybody that is fool enough to care anything about you and do for you. She just stared at me, and she was pretty pale. And Maria ain't the only one you're going to kill, says I. You're going to kill Dr. Malcolm before you're done with him. Then a red color came flaming over her face. I ain't going to kill him either, says she, and she began to cry. Yes, you be, says I. Then I spoke as I had never spoke before. You see, I felt it on the cow to Eurysis. I told her that she hadn't any business to think of another man after she'd been married to one that had died for her. That she was a dreadful woman. And she was. That's true enough. But sometimes I have wondered lately if she knew it. If she wasn't like a baby with scissors in its hand cutting everybody without knowing what it was doing. Luella, she kept getting paler and paler. And she never took her eyes off my face. There was something awful about the way she looked at me and never spoke one word. After a while, I quit talking and I went home. I watched that night, but her lamp went out before nine o'clock, and when Dr. Malcolm came driving past and sort of slowed up, he see there weren't any light, and he drove along. I saw her sort of shy out of meeting the next Sunday, too. He shouldn't have gone home with her, and I began to think maybe she did have some conscience after all. It was only a week after that but Maria Brown died, sort of sudden at last, though everybody had seen it coming. Well, then there was a great deal of feeling and pretty dark whispers. Folks said the days of witchcraft had come again, and they were pretty shy of Luella. She acted sort of offish to the doctor, and he didn't go there, and there wasn't anybody to do anything for her. I don't know how she did get along. I wouldn't go in there and offer to help her, not because I was afraid of dying like the rest, but I thought she was just as well able to do her own work as I was to do it for her. And I thought it was about time she did it and stopped killing other folks. But it wasn't long before folks began to say that Luella herself was going into decline just the way her husband and Lily and Aunt Abby and the others had. And I saw for myself that she looked pretty bad. I used to see her going past the store with a bundle as if she could hardly crawl. But I remember how Eurystus used to wait and tend when he couldn't hardly put one foot before the other and I didn't go out to help her. But at last, one afternoon, I saw the doctor come driving up like mad with his medicine chest, and Mrs. Babbitt came in after supper and said that Luella was real sick. I'd offer going to go in and nurse her, says she, but I've got my children to consider, and maybe it ain't true what they say, but it's queer how many folks have done for her died. I didn't say anything, but I considered how she had been Eurystice's wife and how he had set his eyes on her, and I made up my mind to go in the next morning unless she was better, and see what I could do. But the next morning, I see her out the window, and pretty soon she comes stepping out as spry as you please. And a little while afterward, Mrs. Babbitt came in and told me that the doctor had got a girl from out of town, 
Sarah Jones to come there. And she said she was pretty sure that the, doc the doctor was going to marry Luella. I saw him kiss her in the door that night myself, and I knew it was true. The woman came that afternoon, and the way she flew around was a caution. I don't believe Luella had swept since Maria died. She swept and dusted and washed and ironed. Wet clothes and dusters and carpets were flying all there all day. And every time Luella set her foot when the doctor went there, there was that Sarah Jones helping her of her up and down steps and if she hadn't learned to walk. Well, everybody knew that Luella and the doctor were going to be married. But it won't went long before they uh, began to talk about him looking so poorly, just as they had about the others, and they talked about Sarah Jones, too. Well, the doctor did die, and he wanted to be married first, so as to leave what little he had to Luella, but he died before the minister could get there, and Sarah Jones died a week after. Well, that wound up everything for Luella Miller. Not another soul in the whole town would lift a finger for her. There got to be sort of a panic. Then she began to droop in a good earnest. She used to have to go to the store herself, for Mrs. Babbitt was afraid to let Tommy go for her. And I've seen her going past and stopping every two or three steps to rest. Well, I stood it as long as I could. But one day I saw her coming, with her arms full and stooping to lean against the Babbitt fence. And I ran out and took her bundles and carried them to her house. Then I went home and never spoke one word to her, though she called me after a dreadful kind of pitiful. Well, that night I was taken sick with chill, and I was as sick as I wanted to be for two weeks. Mrs. Babbitt had seen me running to help uh, Luella, and she came in and told me I was going to die on account of it. I didn't know whether I was or not, but I considered I had done right by Eurystice's wife. That last two weeks, Luella, she had a dreadful hard time. She was pretty sick, and as near as I could make out, nobody dared go near her. I don't know if she was really needing anything very much, for there was enough to eat in her house, and it was warm weather, and she made out to cook a little flour gruel every day, I know, but I guess she had a hard time. She that had been so petted and done for all her life. When I got so I could go out, I went over there one morning. Mrs. Babbitt had just come in to say she hadn't seen any smoke. She didn't know, but it was somebody's duty to go in. But she couldn't help thinking of her children, and I got right up, Though I hadn't been out of the house for two weeks, and I had went in there. And Luella, she was laying on the bed, and she was dying. She lasted all that day and into the night. But I sat there after the new doctor had gone away. Nobody else dared to go in there. It was about midnight after I left her for a minute to run home and get some medicine I had been taking, where I began to feel rather, rather bad. It was a full moon that night, and just as I started out of my door to cross the street back to Luella's, I stopped short for I saw something. Lydia Anderson, at this juncture, always said with a certain defiance that she did not expect to believe, and then proceeded in a hushed voice. I saw what I saw, and I know I saw it, and I will swear on my deathbed that I saw it. I saw Luella Miller, Eurystice Miller, Lily, and Aunt Abby, and Maria, and the doctor, and Sarah, all going out of her door. Ah, but Luella shone white in the moonlight, and they were all helping her along till she seemed to fairly fly in the midst of them. Then it all disappeared. I stood a minute with my heart pounding, and then I went over there. I thought of going for Mrs. Babbitt, but I thought she'd be afraid, so I went alone. Though I knew what had happened. Luella was laying real peaceful, dead on her bed. This was a story that the old woman, Lydia Anderson, told. But the sequel was told by the people who survived her. 
and this is the tale which has become the folklore in the village. Lydia Anderson died when she was 87. She had continued wonderfully hale and hearty for one of her years until about two weeks before her death. One bright moonlit evening, she was sitting beside a window in her parlor when she made a sudden exclamation and was out of the house and across the street before the neighbor who was taking care of her could stop her. She followed as fast as possible and found Lydia Anderson stretched on the ground before the door of Luella Miller's deserted house, and she was quite dead. The next night, there was a red gleam of fire athwart to the moonlight, and the old house of Luella Miller was burned to the ground. Nothing is left now of it except a few old cellar stones and a lilac bush, and in the summer, a helpless trail of morning glories among the weeds, which might be considered emblematic of Luella herself. And that was the story for the month. Um, I still don't know what Luella Miller was. Was she like a psychic vampire? Was she like, I don't know, a succubus maybe? I, I'm going with succubus. That's, that's, my, that's my, uh, my vote on it. So I want to thank everybody for joining me for the Ladies of Horror Fiction Presents. Next month, I have the privilege of reading some stories that were submitted for the creature theme. Make sure you join me then. Also, make sure you pop over to the Ladies of Horror Fiction website. We have some fantastic guest posts scheduled for the month. If you'd like to reach out to the LOHF podcast, our email address is lohfpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about new releases, news in the community, and suggestions for the podcast. You can find out more about the members of the Ladies of Horror Fiction via our website at ladiesofhorrorfiction.com. The music for this episode is by the fabulous Nicholas Gasparini at thedarkpiano.com. If you'd like some dark ambient music, please make sure to check his site out. And uh, yeah. So this was a quick episode. Um, For some reason, I thought it was going to be longer. But I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. And uh, yeah, I'll see you in uh, a week or two, probably, probably next week. So I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.